So this morning I'd like to speak a little about this third foundation of mindfulness. So central in all of our lives is uh, part of our being, this aspect of our being that we call mind, that we call heart. The word in Pali is chitta. It is very important to remember as we speak about these foundations of mindfulness is, first of all, we're not, as Narayan said yesterday, we're not actually shifting the practice that much, which is really remaining mindful within the body, established within the body as our anchor. But what we are doing is really informing that mindfulness. Um, that the way in which actually the body becomes such a powerful doorway to understanding and seeing the other foundations. But these are interactive elements, aren't they? We don't have a body over here and feeling over here and mind over there, although sometimes it can feel that way. They are actually interactive, engaged processes. So many of the skills that we develop in being mindful of the body are skills actually that are applied to chitta, to contemplating the mind, contemplating the heart. Now some teachers uh, in this third foundation of mindfulness will include thought, some people, some translations will even put the cognitive element into the fourth foundation of mindfulness. But this foundation of mindfulness is essentially concerned with something um, more, more underneath thought. It's concerned with our moods, our mental states, our emotional states. Bear in mind what I said the other evening that all experience is led by mind, made by mind, shaped by mind. That with our thoughts we make the world and that all that we are arises with our thoughts. But beneath thinking there is mood. Beneath thinking there is mental states. There are emotional states. These are very transient, many of them, aren't they? You see in a single day the way that your mood, your mental state can change so many times. You know, you can be doing a walking practice, feeling a bit sort of low mood, um, a bit gray, a bit kind of slightly um, sad or despairing. And then suddenly a chipmunk runs across your path and you feel the mood change. Hmm? Just like that. You can be feeling quite bright mood, quite calm, quite spacious, and a difficult thought might arise, or a difficult memory. And you can feel your mood shift into something far tighter, far more contracted. So many of these moods, of course, are related to what we've talked about in terms of contact, the way that they shift, the way that they change. Some, uh, many moods, uh, people can have their own sort of like more familiar repertoire of moods. You know, mental states that have visited many times that are very familiar. You know, moods of sadness, moods of agitation, uh, moods of anticipation, uh, mind states of anxiety. 
So many of these can have be far more familiar. We, we recognize them. They're kind of like almost like default mechanisms. But the Buddha put particularly, particular emphasis on understanding citta simply because it plays such a pivotal role in constructing our world of the moment. And of course, there are many ripples that arise from our mood or mental state and the kind of thoughts that are formed, the kind of attitudes that are formed, and indeed the behavioral element. I mean, you will notice if your mood feels a bit low, a bit kind of aversive, um, you know, that might be the day you decide it's not a good day to get out of bed and come to the sitting. And if the mood feels more agitated, you know, or more anxious, you know, that might have a behavioral expression in terms of, uh, you know, hungriness at the notice board or a sudden awareness of all the things that we need to do and plan and rehearse. And, you know, we might get busy with the notes, you know, we might get busy in all kinds of ways. So it is really recognizing the way that the thread of our mental states plays out through our lives, moment to moment. Now what is a, a kind of something to contemplate is the way that we perceive the world through the lens of our mental state. That we interpret what we perceive through the lens of our mental state. And we react then to the world on the basis of those interpretations. You know, think of how that registers in, in your day. You know, if you have wake up in the morning with a mental state of anxiety, you know, you're not going to look out at the world and feel safe and protected no matter how many times you tell yourself you are. You know, you will look out the world and you will see the danger spots and the fearful places. You will have fearful thinking, you know. So we're interpreting and then, and then we might avoid a lot of things or go for a lot of things. So, you know, there's this whole process that is set in motion through our moods. Now, there's not about good moods or good mental states and bad mental states, but obviously there are mental states that are very helpful very lovely. We taste those in our lives. We taste them in retreat. You know, the mental states of calmness, of spaciousness, of ease, of empathy. You know, we can feel those, those mental states. And they are indeed very lovely. And there are many, a whole range, of course, of moods and mental states which are really quite difficult and quite challenging. And they make it very hard to feel at home within ourselves. Within difficult mental states, the mind, the heart, does not feel to be a friend. It feels something, you know, a burden, um, something we want to get away from, something that we don't feel at ease within. And actually, when you look at how this path is presented, much of it is presented as a means of cultivating the lovely, including the loveliness of those qualities that really shape the mental state, shape the mood, you know, the cultivation of kindness, of befriending, of compassion, of tranquility, of serenity. All of these are cultivated 
um, very consciously, not because they're better than this, but because they, they actually lead to far less struggle and torment and actually are part of the paradigm of uprooting torment and struggle. Encourage you to look at how this changes in a day, your mood, your mental states. To look at how it changes your view of the world, how it changes, how your mental state of the moment changes your view of yourself. And by the way, um, we don't have moments without mental states. There is one right now. And if you just kind of turn your attention inwardly, can you sense what your mental state of the moment is? Does it feel easeful? Does it feel contracted? Does it feel heavy, dull? Does it feel more bright, more spacious? Is there a sense of agitation or of calm? We're looking at the kind of essential climate, the essential ambience of our consciousness in this moment. There is always one there. Look at how that acts out in the day. You know, if you have a sort of a contracted, a difficult mental state, and you go into breakfast and you see someone you know, or and you give them a great beaming smile, and you get a stony look in return. Depending on your state of mind, that's going to really alter. It's going to actually set off some sparks that may last the whole day. You know, if the mental state is contracted or a bit anxious, oh, they didn't smile back at me, you know, they don't like me anymore. You know, you start to see the thoughts arising, you know, you're interpreting that moment and it's through the lens of that mental state. They're done, you know, and they're never getting another smile from me. That's it, you know. And then, you know, you know, maybe you have a different mood, you know, and, and, you know, maybe you're quite spacious, you see the same person, you decide to give them a second chance. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> you smile at them, you still don't get a smile back, but the mental state's quite spacious, you know, ah, oh, they're really collected today, you know, oh, their practice is going really well, you know. It's a completely different, different relationship. So, sorry, this thing keeps. There's a, 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 a quite a lot of, of quite experiential investigation, I think, that goes on around understanding mental states. I mean, one of them is really around discernment. This is very important to have the discernment within our moods, within our mental states not again around good or bad, but actually knowing the mental state of the moment. Does this lead to further torment, struggle and anguish, or does this lead away from it? That discernment is actually quite crucial because it rather sets our feet on a path of knowing what it is helpful to cultivate and what it is helpful to begin to unpack and relinquish. Bearing in mind that mental states are reinforced and sustained by the way that they are responded to. 
and that mental states are often maintained and sustained by the way that they are fed. And they are essentially fed through thought and through a lack of mindfulness. We need to develop an emotional literacy in this practice, inwardly, of knowing, ah, yes, this is aversion, or this is contractedness, this is spaciousness, this is calm. That emotional literacy is very much part and, par- part and parcel of the discernment process. It doesn't mean, you know, nitpicking and going through our day, you know, what's the mental state at the moment. But, but having that kind of background questioning of knowing, ah, this is sadness. Ah, this is aversion. This is contractedness. That's a very different kind of literacy than, oh, I am so depressed, or I am so unhappy. It's, ah, this is what it is. And I think the third question comes in around a little bit what I've already touched upon is, is around what am I cultivating, what am I feeding in this moment, what is being fed, even take the eye out of it. What is being fed, what is being cultivated in this moment. It's very important, to, I think, in this practice to come out of this place of feeling simply to be a sort of victim of our moods. Which is often how we can go through life. I know when I was young, you know, we used to have that expression: "Someone's so moody." You know, maybe somebody's told you that you're so moody. But it's often kind of implying the sense of, you know, helplessness. Like moods or mental states just happen, and then they just stay. You know, and we hope that they're going to change—not the lovely ones, but the difficult ones. So what is being cultivated? What is being fed? Sometimes we pick up the clues of the mental states in the body, or even behaviorally too. That's part of mindfulness of the body. We can pick up the clues of the mood of the moment in the, in the body. You feel the heavy, body, you know, the heavy mental state in the kind of contracted body. You feel the fearful mental state in the fearful body. You know, you can feel the angry mental state in the angry body. You know, you can actually start to pick up the clues within the body and actually begin to actually go to those places, that body sense that is registering a mood, explore it deeply, sometimes actually cultivate quite a different body. You know, if you see, you know, it's why we talk about posture, you know, if you see the kind of, you know, heavy, contracted, dull body, actually it's helpful to cultivate the wakeful body. If you see the kind of fearful, defended body, it's actually helpful to cultivate the more kind of spacious, open body. So we're often picking up the clues of a mental state in the body. Sometimes we pick up the clues of a mental state in terms of a continuum, a theme of thinking. You know, like if you have a train of thought, you know, where you have gone, you know, a whole hour kind of chuntering, you know, why do they do this, you know? It's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. You know, you know why are they ring the bell that way? You know, why is that person moving all the time? There's a few clues here. There's a few clues here. That there's a, there's a mental state underneath that thinking, and, and that mental state is actually driving the thinking. You know, if you spend an hour or two, you know, kind of planning, 
what happens when you leave the retreat, you know, and, the, and I need to do this and I need to do that, and what's that person going to do, and da-da-da. It's a mental state there. Probably anxiety. Probably anxiety. If you spent, you know, two hours rehearsing your interview group, <laughs> which, please, we encourage you not to do. <laughs> you know that there's a mental state there, isn't it? So instead of just getting lost in the thoughts, it's certainly helpful to stop and say, ah, what is the mood here? What is the mental state here? Can I feel it in the body? How is it registering? Maybe I cultivate what's, what's missing. But beginning to pick up on those clues which are evident in our experience. You know, we often really don't have to look that hard. Something to spot in moods and mental states is that there is a very closed feedback loop that gets set up. Because moods or mental states, or particularly emotional states, they're going to generate thoughts which are emotionally linked to the mental state. You know, if you are aversive, you don't have a lot of thoughts of metta. I mean, let's get real here, you know. If we're anxious, we don't have a lot of, you know, thoughts of, of how friendly and benign the world is. So our thought patterns are generated by mental states, and they carry the emotional tone of the mental state. Now, notice that the more unskillful, the more unhelpful mental states have much more narrative. That's very helpful to notice. You know, if I'm anxious or aversive, there is much more narrative, many more thoughts generated. Notice if you're calm or spacious or grounded. You know, you don't have a big, such a big story about it. You know, when do I am calm? I'm not a calm person. Maybe I'll be calm tomorrow. You know, it's like you don't have this big story about it. You know, so you know the the kind of loudness of the thoughts is often quite a clue that there's a mental state there that's not so helpful. So mental states will generate thoughts that are emotionally in line, aligned with the mood. Now those thoughts, particularly in the unhelpful, will turn around and feed back into the mind state and strengthen it and reinforce it and solidify it. So is that mind state, you've probably seen this in your life, you know, the growing aversion, you know, the growing anxiety. You know, and so the, when the mental state gets stronger, the thoughts get bigger again. And they go round and round and round. These are what we call, you know, these very familiar cycles, these very familiar thought cycles that we walk on, you know, that we can actually feel quite trapped in. Something else gets very added to that closed feedback loop, which is much around identity. It's around kind of self-view. You see, you go around those thought patterns, those closed feedback loops a lot of times, and then there, there pops up this thing that says, I am really miserable. You know, I'm really inadequate. I am really incapable. I'm really such an aversive person. Now, what do you think that does to that closed feedback loop? Makes, gives it more authority, gives it more credibility, and it creates not only the world of the moment, but creates the self of the moment. This practice is very much dedicated to cultivating a mind which is a true friend. 
cultivating a mind which really feels a refuge, a heart that feels a refuge, a mind that feels an ally. So we're learning to take care of our mood, learning to take care of our state of mind, moment to moment. And again, it's not about making a project out of this. But as you begin a sitting, as you end a sitting, as you begin a walking, as you end a walking, you know, when you wake up in the morning, when you stand in the lunch line, you might just take that moment to ask yourself, what is the state of my mind? What is the state of my mind? Now, it's not about getting into a big analytical process around it, but it's beginning to develop that felt sense of the mood of the moment, that felt sense of the emotion of the moment. Really, we're developing a way of being in which we do not feel trapped or imprisoned or governed by any mental state of the moment, any mood of the moment. We might we bring in that discernment, that kind of literacy of knowing what's going on. Perhaps we go to the body with difficult mentals, you know, so perhaps we develop that felt sense of being mindful of, oh, this is what sadness feels like. This is what aversion feels like. This is what this feels like. Perhaps we might actually develop wise effort, wise responsiveness in relationship to that mood. We might feel it's time, oh no, I feel so contracted, you know. Perhaps I take my attention to listening. Perhaps I make the container much bigger. It's not about judging it and rejecting it and discarding it, but simply knowing it's unhelpful. I don't know if it's a sign of age or whatever, but uh, I do seem to talk too much these days. Um, So again, just finding your posture, finding the settling. Feeling your body's alertness, softness, uprightness. Feeling your body contacting the ground, the cushion, the chair. Unifying body, mind, present moment.
Feeling, sensing your body, breathing, your body listening. The life of your body. Cultivating a calm collectedness.
So in the Satipatthana Sutta, there's a little, a little um, teaching, and this is a teaching for today. It's called the Discourse on the Practice of Attentiveness. Whether going out or returning, the yogini acts with full attention. Whether looking ahead or looking around, she acts with full attention. Whether bending an arm or straightening it, she acts with full attention. In taking one's over-robe, bowl, and spare under-robe, the yogini acts with full attention. Whether defecating or urinating, she acts with full attention. Whether walking, standing, or sitting, whether resting or awake, whether talking or silent, she acts with full attention. So today is the middle of the retreat. We're smack in the middle of the retreat today. This is the day. Yeah, this is the day. It's not any different than any other day. This moment is just a moment. It is a day to completely surrender. Not to force or to strive or to get into those kinds of habits of becoming. I'm going to become this or become that by the end of the day. But instead, the surrender over and over again to full attentiveness. Now, that's what this is about, the surrender over and over again to a welcoming, a wholehearted, intensely gentle embracing of all things over and over again here and now. So just taking a look at arenas where there might be gaps during the day in terms of attentiveness. You know, the Buddha said something so fantastic which is that wherever there is suffering, there too can be peace. In other words, right in the suffering is where the peace can be found as well. A colleague of mine, Larry, who many of you know, he says this is so convenient. (laughs) You don't have to look elsewhere. You have to just look where you are. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to travel. He hates to travel. You just have to be where you are and look directly at whatever the experience may be, suffused with loving kindness and compassion, and not following the bidding of becoming and trying to get trying to get rid of that incredible push-pull that we're so habituated in, but the intensity of gentleness throughout the day today. So today is an invitation. And each moment in this day now is an invitation to live life more fully and to explore and investigate with wholehearted attentiveness. Um, Just to say, Christina mentioned it in the instructions, but just, just to say something about the interview groups, which really, truly, truly, you know, this word interview is such a strange word as if we're interviewing you in terms of whether you get to stay here or not. We love you, and you, you are, we really want you to be here. So um, really this, this rehearsing is unnecessary. You know, if you're thinking of, you know, and it's so natural to try to present yourself. And I mean, you know, it's the most natural of things. So it's not weird or strange. It's just you don't have to do it. You you can really set it aside. You can really put it down and come as you are. So no need to think before you come. Um, And then in the interview groups, really to 
to be as present as you can, to speak about what the experience is that's happening um, now. Okay. So have a, have a wonderfully gentle day. Let the gentleness suffuse every action throughout the day today, a tenderness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.